You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. That when we seem far away, God sends an invitation. Uh, I don't know about you, but when you get an invitation, then you sort of feel the, the need to respond to that invitation. It could be an invitation to a wedding, it could be an invitation to a birthday party, or anything like that. And I just want to tell you this morning that as we go through this and start looking at a couple passages of Scripture this morning, that God is extending an invitation. I'll just tell you up front, the invitation is coming. And so... As God speaks to you, um, one of the things that we heard this past weekend at the men's retreat, at the end of each of them, um, Michael, Pastor Michael from Englewood Baptist would get up. He said, now we need to do something with this. And so that's kind of the feeling as we finish today is, what will you do with the invitation of God? What will you do with His invitation? Will you just kind of put it in the drawer or will you receive the invitation and then do something with it? Um, we are we're in the second week of a series getting us ready for an awakening weekend in April. Um, and I want to make this statement. When we begin to love anything more than God, we are heading in the wrong direction. We get, begin to love anything more than God, we're heading in the wrong direction. So the only way that we can return to the center of His will and to be on track with God, to kind of have the same mindset for our lives is through repentance. Repentance. And so when we talk about getting ready for an awakening weekend, we have to know what we're preparing for. And so here's the, here was the goal, and we talked about it last week. Um, this whole series is preparation for God's work of revival within our church. And then, not just our church family, but a, an awakening within our community. That, that we'd say, God, we want you to, to just kind of saturate this church with your presence and us be regarded as, as listening to God and responding to God in such a way that it moves us and changes our hearts. But then, because of what God has done here, that He would change the community in which we live. We discovered last week that revival is from God and is for God. We also discussed the great need within our nation, our community, for God to intervene. And I would say that as much as we want God to intervene within our nation and our community, He's got to intervene within us. He starts with us. It starts with the church. And so if revival and spiritual, spiritual awakening are going to happen, we first need to look at us and say, God, where are we lacking? Where are we not measuring up to where you want us to be? And essentially, we have to realize that He is our reference point. Because I can look at you and I can look at me, I can look at anybody in the room and we can all look at each other and think, hey, we may be doing okay compared to that one, and if that one seems to be better, then we can find somebody else that's worse. We kind of do that, don't we? 
That's, a, that's the easy way to say, I'm doing okay as a Christian. I'm doing okay as a believer is to look at those around us and compare. But when God is our standard, when He's our reference point, then some of that changes. I know that when I was building some stuff at home, that, that measuring spot has always had to figure out where was the, the starting point. And, um, and it was always the reference point, so I go back to it, and we have to go back to that. And you remember that last week we began to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we said, as Nehemiah, Nehemiah's platform or Nehemiah's stage was kind of our backdrop for us and what God wants to do in our lives, and we learned that of the plight of those in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah being a cupbearer in a foreign land was brought word that the gates were broken down, or they were burned up and the walls were broken, and it created some rubble, and, and it was just, the people were in a bad spot. They were in a bad way. And so Nehemiah wept and mourned over the condition. And he essentially just turned to God and said, God, I need you to intervene, and I'm coming before you just confessing my own sin, but also the sin of my father's who had departed from God's way and had gone a different direction, they basically said that although the reference point may be here, I'm moving the reference point to over here because this comparison is much better for me. And in so doing, they walked away from the God that was securing the nation. And God allowed them to go into exile. See, Nehemiah's testimony is how God was not just working in the life of a nation, but He was working in him personally. And so what, what I want to do is just take a couple of moments, and, and some of the guys remember this from last year when we went to the men's retreat, or the men's conference, um, I asked for some guys to, to share a little bit about what God told them, or spoke to them, or did in their lives while they're at the weekend. And so I want to do that for just a couple of minutes this morning, so as as we learned, it was is essentially a weekend of a call to action for guys to to step up to um, to have a, a testimony, and and when we listen to testimonies like that, it's it's not that that a bunch of guys got together and could rally around a a particular thing for guys. It was about a bunch of guys getting together saying, we're going to listen to God. We want to hear what He has to say. We want to, we want to do what He says to do. And so, if you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of my favorite passages. It, it has a lot of different meanings for me. Um, it's, a, it's a very familiar passage for a lot of reasons. I preached this in a church where... The, the battery on the clock was going dead and we were live on the radio and I, I think I read it about 15 times. I'll tell, I'll tell you that story at some other time. But Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now Isaiah's experience here in this passage is in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah reigned 52 years. He was a, a pretty good king overall, had some issues once he felt comfortable in his position as leader, had some issues and stepped into some places he did not need to step. And so he passes away, and during transition of power to Uzziah's son, Jotham, who took the reign as a 16-year-old, and if 
you guys can just imagine being king over a country. You think it's scary for you, it'd be scary for us. So, um, so when you think about just being a 16-year-old king, what will I do? Well, the, the best thing you do is surround yourself with people that love God and know God and want to advise you well, but that doesn't always happen. And if you read through, um, through the kings, through the passages where it talks about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, you see that that didn't always take place. And so Isaiah, who's going to be this prophet, who's going to have this encounter with God, is going to be sent to tell a message that will be one of, one of hard hardness to the, to the nation because they're going to be taken into exile, but also of God's restoration of a people to Himself. That's kind of where it ends up in Isaiah. So Isaiah has this encounter, this vision. It says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above Him. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook as the sound of their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah is writing this, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So it kind of goes along with what we just heard, that we are called to action. But the, the first part of this is this whole encounter with a holy God. And so we're going to talk about that for a minute as we, we kind of get ready to look at a passage out of Revelation chapter 2. And so would you pray with me as we move forward? God, we come before you. And we intellectually know that you are holy you are righteous father when we let that sink into our hearts to realize how awesome you are how big you are we realize that we can echo isaiah's words and just say i am ruined i'm i when i look at your holiness i'm not worth much and when we look at the whole of scripture and even Isaiah's testimony. And we could have that sense that we are so lacking, and at the same time, you bring restoration to our lives and grace to our lives and mercy to us through the blood of Christ and the cross of Calvary. You bring hope to us through the empty tomb. And so, Father, as we consider who you are and who we are and what we need to do as an action out of you calling us to follow You. Father, help us to have ears to hear and a, 
a heart that is soft. And so God, work in our lives and teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah has this encounter. It's an overwhelming encounter. It's one of those encounters where if you and I were like Isaiah and we had this encounter, we would, we would look at it and just be overwhelmed with just the presence of God. And so the first thing I want us to understand in this is just God's presence, that, that His presence filled the space. I mean, just look at it. I mean, it's just incredible. The robe, the train of His robe filled the room. And it filled with, and the room filled with smoke. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would just, if I were in that case, I would just kind of want to stand back and go, I just can't take all this in. And I'm trying to imagine being Isaiah at this point, trying to, trying to take in all that is in front of me. I don't know if you've ever been like standing on a beach or, or out in a field or something like that and just looking out and seeing God's handiwork in the sky like a sunset. And, and looking at it and it just being so massive and so big that you just can't take it all in. You can look this way and you see something and you look this way, but you can't get it all into one frame. And, and it's, I think it was just kind of like that. Isaiah's in this spot and he can't bring all of this understanding of who God is into one frame of reference at that point. It just kind of blows them away. And then just, a, just the, the train of that robe filling the place was just, just this picture of majesty and royalty before Isaiah. And he realized that not just his presence, but God's perfection. That he was holy. And he says, I am ruined. And that, that word means to be utterly destroyed or cease to exist. Unable to stand in any sense of worthiness. And really, when we stand before a holy God, there is no sense of worthiness that we should have on our own, is there? It, all our worthiness comes because of what Christ has done for us. So Isaiah is in that spot. And look at Isaiah's response to that, his posture. Both physically and spiritually, it's, I'm ruined, I'm, I'm done for. And then the coal comes to touch on his lips, that hot, that hot coal. And he's declared clean and restored. And out of that is this idea of not just restoration, but commissioning forward. So we could do all this stuff this morning and talk about responding to God in this room, but if it doesn't transfer into some kind of commission that goes beyond the walls of this church, then we've just become a holy huddle. We've got to be commissioned, and we must be commissioned, to move beyond the walls of this church to impact the community around us. And so there's two principles related to just this approaching God that we have to understand. Two principles for us that God, first of all, is approachable. We can go to this God and say, God, we come before you. We come ruined as Isaiah was, but restored because of the blood of Christ. So we understand God is approachable. God is also holy. And because of His holiness, there are demands. There are requirements. 
Now, I want to be really careful here because if we, if we center on the demands of Scripture, and they are weighty demands, they are serious demands, they are demands that de- deserve our discipline <coughs> and our attention. But if we go so far as to make the demands the end and don't consider who God is, then we've made it just a legal system of, of following a set of rules. And so we want to be really careful in here, understanding God is holy, and we have to respond to Him in holiness, be obedient to His Word, but not obedience because of trying to keep a set of rules so that we can measure up to who God is. No, we want to be obedient because of the love relationship we have with God. That He loved us and sent us an invitation to join Him in what He's about. And because of the immense love that He has for us, we respond in love. It's as if God is courting us and it's our response to Him and say, we love you back. At some point we have to say we love Him back. And Isaiah gets to that point. Nehemiah gets to that point. The pattern. (coughs) David gets to that point in Psalm 51. And so as we read this passage in in Revelation, that's going to call us to do some things. There's some things that that we must understand in this, uh, this prescription for how to move forward in revival and spiritual awakening. Revelation 2 and 3 are essentially a series of messages directed to seven churches within a particular region. And every church was to read the entire series, but there were particular parts that were addressed to particular churches. And so we're going to go over one of those. It's the church at Ephesus. It's the first church found in in this series of messages. So Revelation chapter 2 And um, in verse 1 is where we'll be. But uh, we need to understand, who is this church? What is this church? Or or who are these people that that God is sending a message to in Revelation 2? Well, we can find out more about that just looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So I want to go over just three real quick things about this, this Ephesian church. And then... When we look at Revelation chapter 2, going, oh, okay. Because the Ephesian church, they were, they were encouraged to do some things, but they had some characteristics that were really good. Listen to what, how Paul described them at that time. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. Without hope, and without God in this world. And then the, that phrase that, that we love to hear when there's bad news on the front, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. I mean, that's, that's an incredible thing. Once outsiders, once uninvited... Seemingly uninvited, alien to the idea of God, alien to following Him, alien to hope, and far away, but now part of 
the family of God through Christ. They were adopted, brought into the family on purpose. I don't know if you've seen those those videos where a family is bringing home an adopted child from another country, and they've got they've they've solicited help and and support from different people, and they they have this video of this this mom or mom and dad with this child. They get off the plane, they're coming to the exit, and there's this group of people that are there just awaiting the arrival of this child. And they, they're there with the signs, welcome home, glad you're here, welcome to the family, all those kind of things. And the mom and dad walk them out to this crowd just cheering and, and welcoming them in to this place because they've invested in it. And what God has done is He's invested in reaching us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's invited us in and does nothing but celebrate when we come to Him. He's done that with us, and he tells the Ephesian church, you were once far away, but you've been adopted in. I've put up the signs, and I've welcomed you in, and I'm cheering for you. That which I began in you, I'm going to continue to the day of Christ Jesus. In Philippians 1.6. And then Ephesians 3.17 and 18, I said, Paul writes, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, and with height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with the fullness of God. What a, what a crazy passage that you would just start to understand how big God's love is. That love transcends just this coming to you, but it goes into coming to you and then being spread horizontally to others. And so what Paul's writing in Ephesians, he says, I understand that you have love for one another and a love for God, and I want that to increase. So Paul says, you have to be unified with love for one another, with God at the forefront. There's the potential to be full or filled with all that God has to offer is right there for you to take. And then lastly, a reminder that the enemy of God, Satan, is continually pressing in on us. He's continually battling for us. And he's against the saints of God. We must understand that Satan is against us. He's the enemy. It requires diligence to the atten- diligent attention to the relationship between us and God. And so Ephesians 6 Verse 11, and and 11 through 13 says, I pray that you, Paul writes this, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend, and that's the passage we just read, may be able to catch all that, and then understand that we are in a battle that we should put on the full armor of God. And so in our love for one another, in our love for God, Understand there's this battle that takes place that we have a hard time comprehending because it's out of our sight line and that God calls us to. And so he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand what Satan throws at you. And so Paul understood that this whole idea of coming to Christ, living in love, and moving forward was going to be a battle. And so when we get over to Revelation chapter 2, 
when Paul writes the, or when John writes this, we see where the Ephesian church has not just been, but we see where the Ephesian church needed to change. And so let's let's read that together to the angel of the church in Ephesus write the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands says I know your works your labor and your endurance and that you cannot tolerate evil you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you have found them to be liars you also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name, and have not grown weary. So far, so good, right? Then this, but I have this against you. It's not what you want to hear, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans that I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. When I, when I look at that passage... There's a, there's a couple of things that just kind of stand out. And it's coming from an authoritative position. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the lampstands. It's this picture of Christ declaring a message to a, to a church. And look what he says. It, it, it's all this good stuff. I know your works. So... So what he's referencing, he says, I know you're an active church. I know you're labor. I know you're diligent. You're not lazy. I know your endurance, that you don't give up easily. I know you abhor evil. And essentially, this is the purest side of you. This is what I see. you, You hold things well. I know you are doctrinally sound. I know that you have endured persecution and have remained faithful. The culture really hasn't moved you much. And so I want to ask this question. How close is this description in Revelation chapter 2, a description of how you would attest to your relationship with God or this church's relationship to God? It says this is what's wrong. This is what he says. You've abandoned your first love. You've essentially bid farewell. You've disregarded. Love for the brethren and love for the Savior has grown cold. See, if we were to look at the Ephesian church, or when we look at our church, we could make these statements such as um, finances are okay, or attendance seems to be steady, the calendar seems full, looks full, people are friendly. But when we come down to this passage where he says, but this I have against you, we realize that we may have drifted away in the midst of doing church, like the Ephesian church. We may have drifted away from our first love. 
We may have drifted away from just that, that idea of being so connected to Him that we live and breathe Christ. Distri- drifting is destructive. Drifting is destructive to the body of Christ, but it's also destructive to the individual. And when we start to replace what's on the inside with just this idea of keeping rules or keeping up, then we've missed the love part of it. The messenger gives this church the remedy in verse 5. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Now, now I want us to kind of picture in our mind something. Just this megaphone. And, and the megaphone goes down from something really big. You know, you take a megaphone or a funnel and it funnels down to a small point. And we can make this about the church at the top of the megaphone and, and come down, but we have to realize that it's really about us as individuals because revival starts, for us collectively as a whole, it starts with us as individuals. The we, the we is, starts with I. If this church is going to be all that God's created it to be, then it starts with our response individually to God. And so... As we think about that, that whole idea of funneling, what is God telling us as individuals in this place? First thing is repentance that leads to revival requires a change of mind. It requires a change of mind. We have to agree with God. We say, God, although, and I understand you hate sin, I need to hate sin like you hate sin. I need to be against it. And, and it's so easy for us to do this on the outside, but on the inside make those compromising decisions that says, I don't hate sin like you do on the inside, but I do on the outside. I can make my outsides look great. We have to come to an agreement with God. You remember how Jesus addressed this. He said that, that Scripture says, do not murder. And He says, but if you hate your brother, isn't that the same thing, right? What Jesus was going to was, you have this outside part, but he said, let's just really take a look at the inside. Let's consider that. Inner, inner betrayal of God led them to a compromising position. And so we have to look at ourselves. And, and what the, the writer here, what John writes is that remember how far you have fallen. And, and what that idea of remembering can be for us. So I'm going to ask you to do something, and I know that you lost an hour of sleep, and I don't want you to fall asleep during this, but I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. All right? So if you'll promise to stay awake and close your eyes, it's all good. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? What day was it? When was it? What season of your life? You remember what brought you to that spot where you realized that you were a sinner and that you couldn't save yourself, but you needed a Savior? And at some point you said, God, I'm going to turn my life over to you. And I want you to control my life or be the boss of my life. And so you may have said a prayer. It may have been with somebody, you may have been by yourself, it may have been with a parent or a grandparent, it may have been at vacation Bible school. 
but you prayed and, and when that prayer was over, it, it kind of felt like a weight had been lifted. There was a, a sense of security, a sense of hope. There was some joy and excitement of uh, now I have Christ in my life and I need to share it with somebody. And you were probably encouraged to, to take that and share it with somebody that was important to you. Maybe a teacher or a parent or somebody else. You remember that day? You see, if you have a hard time remembering that of you ever coming to Christ, the question is, did you ever receive Christ as Savior? That's where all this starts. And I want to tell you that today would be a great day to surrender your life to Christ. See, it became relational to you that day. And what happens with most of us, and you can open your eyes now, what happens with a lot of us, is it starts out very relational and then becomes just rote. Just things that we do because that's what we've always done or that's what we were told to do. It's like Jason was talking about. I came to Christ, but then nobody told me what I needed to do next. Nobody helped me grow in that. And so the writer in of Revelation 2 says, to remember how far you have fallen. Remember where you were. Remember that. Then essentially to go back, to think back to that experience and go back to that feeling, go back to that idea of my whole life is wrapped up in who Christ is. And we have to go through a replacement process at this point if we've come to know Christ and say, God, transform my mind. Change me. Help me to remember. Second thing is repentance that leads to revival requires a change of direction. It's a 180 degree turn. And we were talking about it with this men's conference, just getting directions from GPS. Being told, turn around, make a U-turn. I've been in places where it told me to turn around and I turned around and I started going the other direction. It told me to make another U-turn. I mean, I was in a loop for a while in one of the places I was till, till Deb told me to quit. So the, this whole idea of a change of direction is just a going from one thing to another, from abandoning sin and turning to God. It's a 180 degree turn. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says in, in chapter 7, verse 9, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Now, that doesn't sound very happy, does it? But it's truth. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. When we follow God with all that we are and we repent of our sin and we turn to Him, we don't regret moving away from that sin. I don't know that anybody that has ever come to Christ that says, man, I wish I hadn't come to Christ. No, there's security and hope in Christ. And even as believers, when we turn from sin and turn back toward God, and we go through that restoration process, we realize how good it is to be in great fellowship with God. It may be grief and loss, separation for a season, but it is a short season as we realize that we are giving up what is bad for what is good. My mom used to fix liver and onions. 
And some of you may love liver and onions. I'm, I'll pray for you. But I had, when I left home, I think I've only had liver and onions one time since, since I left home as a college student. I don't really miss it. It was easy for me to give up liver and onions. Now, if the, the requirement was give up steak on the grill, we'd have a problem. I would struggle with that, and it would be a continual struggle. Every time I would drive by a neighbor's house that had the grill going, I would go, oh, I want that bad. And, and really, some of the things that we have to give up is kind of like that. There's a grief and a loss associated with it, but when we realize it is our, in our best interest to follow what God has for us, then we realize that, that it is something worth giving up because we are getting so much more in our relationship with God. Third thing is repentance that leads to revival requires a change of action. Look what it says. It says, remember then how far you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. It's not a just sit back and do nothing, but go back to when you first came to Christ about that excitement and say, what were the things I did at first? I committed my life to Him at first of all. And then I wanted to please Him with all my life. And then I wanted to share that life with someone else. It was going back to that reference point. Abandoning what I needed to abandon that didn't please God and to follow His leadership. And, and really, it's now we, now we take that megaphone or that funnel and we turn it the other way. And when we've dealt with things as an individual, then we're ready to share Christ with those around us in the community community that need to hear about him it's about making loud who god is do the deeds you did it first so we return to the reference point we our activity changes as we sense god's direction in our life so when we're getting ready for revival and spiritual awakening we must first go to the idea of repentance and and that's hard that's not necessarily a fun thing on the front end. But we go to repentance. Because it's what God calls us to as a holy God. And He asks us to return to Him. He extends an invitation. And so the question is, what will we do with the invitation that God has given? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.